1: I'm Heather Vale, and you're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas public affairs show. Today, I'm speaking with Dave Schweiger, founder of Bunnies Matter Rescue. Bunnies Matter is a group of volunteers dedicated to helping dumped and unwanted bunnies in the Las Vegas Valley. The nonprofit organization holds bunny adoptions every Saturday at Floyd Lamb Park, and their fall festival is coming up this month as well. Dave, thank you so much for being here today.
2: Oh, thank you. Nice to be here.
1: So what prompted you to start Bunnies Matter Rescue in the first place?
2: It started in 2015 when one of my neighbors or somebody in the neighborhood let bunnies loose. So that's how I got into bunnies. So we started with, I think, uh, about six rabbits under our shed. And then uh, six turned into 24. And by the time we started to fix them and everything, you know, Most of the females were pregnant. You know, had we not jumped on it right away, you know, we would have been sitting there with 40 or 50.
1: That's pretty random. You know, a lot of people could end up with rabbits in their shed or in their backyard, but not everybody would start a nonprofit rescue organization. So what prompted you to take that step?
2: So one of the things there's really not much help in uh, Las Vegas for helping rabbits. So and I so I called every place, the animal foundation, all the rescues. Nobody could help. Finally, uh, my cousin who actually does some animal rescue stuff, Stacy ran a group called uh, and she had just done this uh, a Facebook group. She called Bunnies Matter in Vegas too. Mm-hmm. So and I actually. She was feeding these feral bunnies out at the uh, mental health facility at Jones in Charleston. So I actually became her first first volunteer because I saw her struggling to try to figure out a solution to rescue them. Mm -hmm. So I came up with a plan. I did the the website Bunnies Matter. We had uh, people feeding bunnies seven days a week, two times a day, feeding and watering them. And we did that for almost two years before we caught a break and were able to rescue uh, upwards of 700 bunnies.
1: Wow. Why is there such an issue with abandoned bunnies in the Vegas Valley?
2: A few reasons. The the number one reason, there's a cuteness factor with bunnies. Mm -hmm. So um, pet stores and feed stores and anybody else, you know, they're selling them for 25, 50 bucks. People have no idea that it costs two to six hundred dollars to spay or neuter a rabbit. So, the two main things that drive people abandoning bunnies are the cost of spay and neuters, which there is no low cost spay or neuter facilities in Las Vegas in a city of 2.8 billion people. Wow! So, that's okay. number one. Which I kind of the animal foundation is supposed to do low cost public spay and neuters for animals. Someone chose just to do dogs and cats I guess because it's cheaper yeah and then the second problem that contributes to it is that all our animal control jurisdictions they ignore the rabbit problem Uh, unless it's a dead rabbit they don't touch it so interesting so that you combine no low cost spay and neuters with uh, animal control that doesn't go grab rabbits when they're dumped in a park when there's two or three Two or three bunnies can turn into 100 in less than six months if you don't capture them and get them out and get them fixed.
1: Okay, so Bunnies Matter is based at Floyd Floydland Park. Why did that park become the place where people dumped their bunnies?
2: So when we first start, when Stacey and I first started, and I was helping her, the uh, mental health facility was the largest dump site in Vegas. Floydland Park was the second one. And I actually started a feeding and watering program or helped. There was somebody over there already doing it a little bit, but I saw what they were doing. And I said, hey, I'll help you. Look what you know we're doing over here. So what happened is Stacy and I actually split ways after we rescued the 700 bunnies. She's mm-hmm. since stopped rescuing. And then Michelle Fiore, who's Ward 6 at Floyd Lime Park, had asked if we could help rescue the bunnies they had attempted to rescue them and kind of failed and some got killed. So I said, Hey, I'll do it. So that's how my bunnies matter rescue started. I just took our website. We already had got some volunteers and Stacy did help. And some of the people from the original big rescue that we did at mental health facility did come over and assist and help, you know, including Stacy, Uh, actually our, you know, one of our vets that we had that did the first rescue. And this ended up being a lot smaller rescue. We originally rescued 70. And after a couple years, you know, we've rescued, I think, like 82 total. We just rescued like three more dumped in the park probably the last month. Wow. So okay. it's still happening.
1: So tell us more about the fall festival coming up.
2: So our building, because of Michelle Fiore and the rescue, which that was one of my, uh, demands or whatever you know just one of the things I said we have to have a building because we you know the previous rescue we used our houses and everything it was just too hard so Mm -hmm. Michelle Fiore was able to give us a building inside the park to be able to rescue bunnies and so now at the park we do a fall festival every year well this is our second annual and we just have games and you know kind of one of the biggest problems with rabbits is or one of the other problems is that there is very little education about rabbits and how they live, how they reproduce, what they need to be a pet for you. So that's kind of like we do the fall festival and we have education mixed with games. And like in this one, we're having a game where they go, it's like follow the bunny trail. So the kids go and they go to different points around the building and then they have to answer a bunny question, you know, like how many rabbits can a bunny have? Or how many times a year can they have babies and stuff like that? You know, just some simple questions, but Mm -hmm. you know, most people don't know that they can have babies every 30 days, and they can have a litter of four to 12 bunnies every time they are pregnant. So that is why that their numbers grow so fast when they reproduce.
1: Yeah, they're they're built for that. Rabbits are every wild animal's prey, pretty much. I mean, a lot of wild animals prey on rabbits. So they kind of have to breed that much in order to survive.
2: Yes, but the problem is with domestic rabbits, they're not built to survive. They're built to be cute. So they're slow. They have big ears. They can't see well. So there's lots of things that get them killed even faster and the color. A brown or a black bunny will last a lot longer out in the wild than a white bunny. White bunnies are the first ones that a hawk or an owl or you know anything will uh, pick off first.
1: Yeah. So when and where is the fall festival? Obviously, it's at Floyd Lamb Park. When is it?
2: It is Sunday, September 25th at Floyd Lamb Park. Admission is free. The entrance to the park is near Durango and Brent Lane. It's not too far from Durango and farm or Durango in 95 and just like no admission there. We are doing like a uh, little fundraising kind of stuff. Uh, kids can get like six tickets for $5 and they can play different games and spin the wheel. And there's a fishing game and lots of other little games that they can play.
1: Cool. Okay. And what about the regular adoptions on Saturdays? What happens on those days?
2: So every Saturday from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., we hold adoption events, which are also educational events. We have currently have 17 pens. Most of our uh, rabbits are in pairs, but we do have some singles. And then besides Saturday from 10 to 3, we also do uh, adoptions by appointment, which like this week we had two adoptions by appointment. So we really can't facilitate a full staff seven days a week for a, just for the adoption part. But um, we do have cleaning and feeding crews there two times a day, you know, in the morning and at night, seven days a week. So we're pretty busy. We have over 50 volunteers right now.
1: Okay, awesome. So if people listening want to also be volunteers or maybe they wanna donate to the cause or come out on a Saturday or come out for the fall festival, where can they find all that information or sign up to be a volunteer?
2: Okay, all they have to do is go to bunniesmatter.org and we have a directions link. It'll show you how to get to the park and where we are in the park. And we have blue and white signs. They can uh, go, we have an uh, adoption page. So you go there and you can see what bunnies are up for adoption or bunnies that are in foster. And then we also have a, we have a volunteer page. So if you want to sign up to be a volunteer, you can click on that link. And then you can go to our donation page and you can do uh, anything, PayPal, Venmo. We have a GoFundMe. We have a phone number on there. You can text pretty much any time and we will answer Facebook page, Instagram.
1: Nice. So once again, it's bunniesmatter.org. Bunniesmatter.org is the website. You can find out all about the fall festival, which is coming up on Sunday, September 25th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Floyd Lamb Park. And they also have bunny adoptions every Saturday from 10 to 3, also at Floyd Lamb Park in the bunny building and you can also sign up to be a volunteer you can look at the bunnies that are for adoption you can make a donation everything you want to know about bunnies is at bunniesmatter.org dave i want to thank you so much for being here and letting everybody know about what you're doing what the problem is and how they can get involved and help out and i hope a lot of people show up for the fall festival or your weekly adoptions so thank you for your time and and speaking with us today
2: okay thank you heather appreciate you having me on. I'm Julian Hyde,
3: President and CEO of United Way of Southern Nevada, and inviting you to join us and volunteer for a Day of Caring on September 23rd at Stoney's Rockin' Country. Volunteer to support causes you care about and make a difference at local nonprofits. Sign up today at uwsn.org caring.
1: I'm Heather Vale and this is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Today I'm speaking with Jacqueline Archambault, crime prevention specialist with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department or LVMPD. Jacqueline is a third-generation Las Vegas native who's passionate about the community she grew up in. Her family history dates back to the Great Depression era and a great-uncle who briefly owned the Golden Nugget, was the first person to call Las Vegas Boulevard the strip and had ties to the mob at one point. But her living family members are all upstanding citizens and a majority are civil servants working in education and law enforcement. Jacqueline joined the LVMPD in 2018 with a goal to strengthen police community relations by facilitating events, educating the public, and connecting them with resources they can use. Jacqueline, thanks so much for being here today.
4: Hi Heather, thanks for having me.
1: So. Why do events help strengthen relations between police and community?
4: You know what? Especially in today's day and age, it's now important more than ever that police are making every effort they can to strengthen relationships with the community. I mean, they do this through transparency, accountability. LVMPD, really great about being transparent and accountable when significant events occur and trying to get out that information as quickly as they can to the public. But we also do that through events. And when we host events like National Night Out, First Tuesdays, Coffee with the Cop, all of these events are what our really good attempts are to, you know, educate the community, promote maybe awareness in the community, and invite the public to come out and spend time with us. And to see that, you know, police officers are people too. You know, they're humans and, you know, we live and breathe in the same community that they do. And we're all on the same team in terms of wanting to do better for our community. And so when we host these events, we're trying to create a comfortable space where people can come out, you know, interact with us, you know, ask us any kinds of questions that they want and just see that, you know, we are people, too. And we're just trying to have a good time and celebrate with them. Okay, so I
1: know what First Friday is, but what are First Tuesdays?
4: So First Tuesdays is something that a lot of police agencies participate in, including Metro. So First Tuesday um, occurs the first Tuesday of every month, and basically police agencies, a lot of them will invite the general public into their substation, and they'll bring in a guest speaker, and they'll talk about something that might be burdening the public or any big issues or things that have to do with public safety. So for example, last month I had our HOT team come in and HOT team stands for Homeless Outreach Team. And they talk to our citizens about resources and ways that they can help out a homeless citizen that they may see on the street or, you know, phone numbers that they can call to get them assistance. So it's an event we have once a month. It's only an hour long. And typically we also provide, you know, food and and, and beverages as well. So it's a really great time to meet up with people in the community and hear their side of what's going on locally.
1: Nice. Okay. And what about coffee with a cop? I've never heard of that.
4: Coffee with a cop is great because one, you get free coffee and typically a pastry, but two, a lot of police agencies, especially with Metro, we like to pop up at different locations, you know, whether it's Starbucks or Albertsons or, you know, a local church we will kind of pop up. Um, we'll help provide pastries and coffee and we'll invite the public to come in and have coffee with us and maybe ask us any burning questions that they might have as well.
1: Okay. And then what is the National Night Out or NNO event?
4: National Night Out is um, one of the biggest events of the year. And this is a nationally recognized event. And our police agency is one of the many that participates in it. And National Night Out um, is something that we take six months or so to plan. And Metro is broken up into 10 different area commands. So a lot of the area commands kind of do their own national night out or they'll team up with other area commands and host big ones. But typically we'll host these big events and it's just a way to celebrate the community and you know promote safety within the community. So if there's anything going on, like an uptick in burglaries, you know we'll talk about it, we'll cover it. We'll also invite other vendors and um, partner agencies out with us. And it's kind of like this huge resource fair. So if you live in the Northeast area, I'm the crime prevention specialist for that area. And um, it's gonna be on October 4th, which is uh, Tuesday, when all the other area commands are also celebrating theirs. And ours is gonna be from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. at Bob Price Park, which is 2050 Bonnie Lane. And we're gonna expect around 5,000 people to show up to this event. And we are personally gonna have around 60 vendors with free food entertainment and services and resources for the community and it's a really great time and a really great way to educate the public about different local um, events and resources out there
1: okay awesome so the northeast area command is happening at bob rice park on tuesday october 4th from 5 to 8 do you happen to know what any of the other 10 areas are doing on
4: that night You know what, there's quite a few, and I haven't touched base with all of them, but I can tell you that a few of them are teaming up, and they're going to be having one at downtown Summerlin. We also have another one that's probably going to be at Town Square this year, and then a few others might pop up here and there at another local park. Other agencies, I know for a fact, Henderson Police Department, they celebrate theirs in August, usually, when most agencies celebrate their national night outs. But in Vegas, it's just too hot. So we try to st- we, we tend to go for October, but Henderson's will also be October fourth, And it's going to be, I-, I believe, on Water Street as well around the same time frame if you're a Henderson local.
1: OK, nice. So since you're a crime prevention specialist, what tips do you have for listeners to protect their homes and properties?
4: I'm really glad you asked that because um, aside from focusing on violent crime, the police agency also tries to focus on protecting our property because when a home invasion happens or an auto burglary happens, we take it seriously as well because that feels like such an intrusion on your life. And so when we focus on the home first and trying to safeguard it, just looking at the outside of the home, we want to make sure we have really good lighting. And what I mean by really good lighting is that I should be able to walk outside my house and read a book and walk around my house and still see the text I'm reading on that book. So when you're looking at lighting, LED lighting is always a, a staple to have because it gives you that true color rendering and it help, You know, it's pretty cost efficient and it's also effective too at lighting up a space. So if I see somebody suspicious walking around the front of my house, I'm going to be able to determine with LED lighting if they're wearing a purple shirt or maybe a blue shirt instead. Um, Halogen bulbs and other types of light tend to discolor the true colors of what we're seeing. Aside from having really good lighting, you also want to make sure that you're using your landscape to the best of your ability to work with you rather than against you. So if you ever go outside and you see bushes that are super tall and you see tree canopies that are really low, that's going to obscure your natural surveillance of what's going on around you. So I may not be able to see somebody prowling around my house if I have thick shrubs that are growing around my house. So as a best practice, we want to make sure that our shrubs are no taller than three feet tall and that they're thinned out. And we also want to make sure that our tree canopies are no shorter than seven feet tall, because we don't want somebody to climb up our tree and get into our house. In addition to that, when we're talking about landscaping, we also want to think about, quote unquote, hostile vegetation. And hostile vegetation is just a fun term for bushes that you really don't want to touch. So planting hostile vegetation around your property Maybe underneath a window or an area you don't want someone to be, can also help deter a burglar from wandering in that area. So, some examples of hostile vegetation are blackthorn bushes and um, thorny rose bushes or cacti. All of those types of plants are hostile and they definitely deter burglars. When we look at the inside of the house, it's really important that we have good locking mechanisms. So, on the front door, It's best practice to have at least two locks on the door, like a single cylinder deadbolt lock, which is the typical lock that you put the key into and you turn it and you see this lock come out. That should be at least an inch. You can also have a hatch lock on the inside of your door that you can swing closed when you're inside your house. You can also have a screen door on the outside of your door that locks as well as your secondary lock. And in addition to doors, we also want to make sure we have a peephole that we can see out of. And we also want to make sure that we have three to four inch screws in the stripe plate. So if you open your door and you take a drill and you drill out one of those screws, a lot of times home manufacturers will put maybe one inch screws in there. We want to make sure we have three to four inch screws in there because if a burglar comes in and kicks in the door, they're going to have an easier time doing that if the screw is only one inch long. Aside from that, we also wanna make sure that our windows are also secure and have at least two locks as well because burglars tend to crawl through windows. So they can maybe have a hatch lock, but you can also get a Charlie bar installed or you could even get a really inexpensive, tiny metal uh, screw that screws into the back of the track where the window rolls up and down and that can help prevent a burglar from breaking in. Aside from that, we also want to have security cameras if you're able to invest in any of those. Security cameras, they're a really nice technology. They've been out for a while now. So in terms of pricing, it's more competitive and it's more affordable for people to purchase. And then in addition to that, I want to you know also note that it's really important to know that most burglaries happen during the day when the burglar thinks that You're away at work or you might be at school. So it's important to make your house look like there's someone always inside because a burglar doesn't want to be detected. Usually they want to get in, get their stuff and get out. So what I would recommend doing is investing in some lights that you can turn on and off on an app on your phone throughout the day to make it look like your home. You can also program your smart TV to turn on and off throughout the day. And the most creative thing I've heard of is a homeowner actually went and bought a CD with vacuum cleaner noises on it. And he would play the CD periodically on and off throughout the day to make it look like someone was just home feverishly cleaning their house. (laughs) (laughs) So if I'm a burglar, I'm not going to go to that house if I hear someone vacuuming. I'll probably go down the street at this house where the lights are off and I don't think anybody's home. Yeah. To dive into auto burglaries, that's another big one that we see. With auto burglaries, same principles apply. We want to park our vehicle in a secured parking lot or in a garage. If that's not possible, try to park your vehicle where there's really good lighting, maybe security cameras. Um, Vehicles really should be parked in an area where there's a lot of, quote unquote, natural surveillance. And what I mean by that is there's people kind of hanging out in the area. Maybe they're eating lunch or they're at the park and they have eyes that are kind of scanning the area and just observing and taking in what's going on. You know, it's not really enough to park your vehicle in a high traffic area where people are just quickly walking by or driving by, but you want to park it in an area that's being constantly monitored and observed. In addition to that, you know, always make sure your car doors are locked. That's a common thing to know uh, because, you know, criminals, They will smash through your window. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of times they also want to be undetected. So you'll see somebody just go door to door, you know, checking car door handles until they find one that's unlocked. So always make sure your stuff is locked. And then I would just say my last big piece of advice for vehicles is don't leave anything valuable out that someone would want to grab. And I say this because my husband has an iPod shuffle still, and mm-hmm. he left his super old iPod shuffle charging cord in the car, not thinking anything of it. It's like 10 bucks. Well, someone smashed his window, took the cord and left. So he's out 11 bucks Wow. plus $300 for the car window repair. So that that's not fun. So it's just really important that you you honestly don't leave anything out because anything could be determined as valuable by a criminal. And this goes for garage door remotes too. So a lot of people, they'll leave their garage door remote in their sun visors. And what else is in your car that tells you where you live? It's your car insurance. It's your vehicle registration. So if I'm a criminal, I go in, I see your garage door remote, I'll snatch it. And then I'll take a picture of your vehicle registration. And then I'll stake out your house and I'll look to see when you're not home. And then I'll go in and then do what I have to do to get what I need. So that's another big thing too to keep in mind is not leaving anything like that either inside your car.
1: Wow, that's a lot of great tips and, you know, a lot of things that people just don't think about. You know, we want to give people the benefits of the doubt. Like I can't count how many times I've seen on my Ring app where people are like car break-in, car break-in, car break-in and it's usually just an unlocked door. It's Mm -hmm. just not something people think about. Well, it's in my
4: driveway. Why would I lock the door? Well, yeah, (laughs) we have to be vigilant, right? Absolutely. People are brazen enough to pretty much do anything. So, you know, working in this line of work, I've my head's on a swivel. I'm constantly thinking, you know, did I lock this? Did I hide that sort of mentality? And, you know, it's unfortunate that we have to do that nowadays, but it is what it is. Vegas is a very large community. You know, we're very population dense. So, You can never be too careful and you'll never be sorry for ever being too careful at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so where can people find out more information about the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department and the various community initiatives and events that you have going on, including the National Night Out?
4: Absolutely, so first and foremost, you can always go to lvmpd.com to find out more information, whether it's how to file a report, upcoming events that we have going on or if you have any questions about your local area command because we do have 10 of them. We're a huge city. Aside from that, you can also follow our various social media pages. If you live in the northeast area of town, you can go on social media and type in LVMPDNEAC and you should find our page. But all the area commands also have their own pages where they promote their own events and they'll also spread awareness about anything going on that might be affecting that specific uh, local community. And aside from that, you know, when you go on the LVMPD website, you can also contact your own crime prevention specialist and find out who that is and see if there's anything that you should be doing to keep yourself safe, depending on what kind of, you know, neighborhood you live in and what kind of crime trends are going on in your area. I do also want to add that LVMPD is hiring And that's one of our bigger initiatives because we're trying to um, get enough police and police dispatchers and staff out there to help service our community. So if anyone's interested in applying and you're 18 or older uh, and you're a U.S. citizen, please go to LVMP.com or protectthecity.com. And you can see what current job openings there are and see if you qualify and put in an application because this is a really great place to start a career.
1: Nice. Okay. So lvmpd.com is where to find all the information about the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, including the upcoming National Night Out events and other events that they have going on. Now, the National Night Out event is taking place this year on Tuesday, October 4th from 5 to 8 p.m. is going to be the one at Bob Bryce Park. That's for the Northeast Command. And there will also be events happening that same time frame in downtown Summerlin, Town Square, and Water Street in Henderson, among others. As she mentioned, there's 10. And Jacqueline, I want to thank you so much for being here and letting us know, first of all, what's going on in the community, what kind of events you have going on. Because I think a lot of people aren't even aware that the police department puts on events like this. And then also the tips that you shared were just so valuable. So I want to thank you so much for being here and letting people know about your expertise.
4: All right. Yeah, thanks, Heather, for letting me on the show and having the opportunity to have this platform. I really appreciate it.
1: Cancer screening can save your life. Begin cervical
5: screening at age 25. At 45, colorectal and breast screening. At 50, discuss lung screening with a doctor. Find resources for free and low-cost screening at cancer.org slash get screened. This is a
6: public
1: service message from the American Cancer Society. I'm Heather Vale and this is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Today I'm speaking with Brittany Aldis, Patient Family Coordinator for the Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation or PBTF, as well as Sarah and Luna Duran, one of their star families impacted by pediatric brain tumors. Luna is six years old and in first grade. She had two different brain cancer diagnoses before she was three and is visually impaired because the first tumor took her vision. The Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation fights to eradicate brain tumors, the deadliest childhood cancer. Their Ride for Kids events are the longest running motorcycle charity event in the nation. And we've got one coming up next month. Brittany, Sarah, and Luna, thank you all so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, I'm here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Luna. You're a very, very brave girl. Now we are going to ask you a couple questions in a second, but first let's give the listeners a little bit of background, Brittany. If you could let us know when was the Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation founded and what exactly does it do? So the the actual national
5: foundation was founded. It was like a grassroots effort founded by a couple back east, and there was like a little child that had a brain tumor, and they just it was in the eighties. I think nineteen eighty one. And they, they were like, how can we help our neighbor? And they put together this motorcycle ride and they raised money to help this child in, in their neighborhood. And since then, Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation picked up in, I, I believe, in 1995 uh, and turned it into a charity with a mission that is Care, Cure, Thrive. And that's when Ride for Kids was born. And Honda became a national sponsor in 1995. And now all over the country, there are rides literally all over the country where hundreds of motorcycles get together. And the great thing is the funding that's raised by these motorcycle rides goes straight to fund research to end, like you mentioned, the most deadly form of childhood cancer, and we have funded research and new developments that are helping kids live longer, which is just amazing. Yeah. And as far as Las Vegas, our first ride was in 2005.
1: Okay, awesome. So we'll talk a little bit more about the ride for kids. But first, Sarah, I want to get your story. So as a parent, I can imagine that you know, finding out that your child has the deadliest form of childhood cancer must have been pretty tough. What went through your mind when you found out that your baby girl had a brain tumor?
6: Oh, geez. A lot. (laughs) We found out, it it just was Coincidental, we went in to go talk to her pediatrician about her allergy. She was only nine months at the time and we could tell that she was having some like nasal issues and just like we went in to go talk about allergies and he noticed some things with her eyes um, moving and he was like, has anyone ever talked to you about her nystagmus and just kind of took us back for a second. He's like, well, he's like, let's go ahead and do an MRI and just check to see He's like, I don't think there's anything wrong, but I, I let's just check. Mm-hmm. Uh, next thing I know, we were trying to get an MRI scheduled as quickly as possible. She had an MRI on a Wednesday morning. We get a call Thursday morning and we just hear the words, you know, they found a mass in her brain. And you just kind of just stop everything. And I just remember like I was at work and not knowing what to do i just looked at my manager and i was like i gotta go and that day we went home got a call from our childhood cancer kids here and they said we're rushing you to the hospital and so within 24 hours our life was just turned upside down and we were just in a whole new level of life that we just never anticipated and that honestly that you probably don't want anyone else to go through And then to get it to hear it a second time, it's just, it was devastating for us. Just not knowing where, what's going to happen, where our life's going to go. And you just kind of take things one day at a time and see what happens.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that must have been very rough. I'm sorry I went through that. Luna, you're in first grade now. What's that like? What do you do on a daily basis?
5: We do so many things.
1: (laughs) Like what? What's your favorite thing to do at school? Go to music. Do you sing? Do you play an instrument? I do. I do all those things. That's awesome. So you might be a a famous musician one day. Yeah. Guess what I want to be when I grow up. I would love to know what you want to be when you grow up. A composer Wow Wow so you're really what? into music yeah cuz guess what what I made up a pajama song <sighs> can we hear it yes okay go for it I mean my pajamas
5: I'm almost ready for bed I'm in my pajamas I'm gonna rest my head I will have knots tomorrow when I do my hair
1: I'm in my pajamas. I'm almost ready for bed. That's great. I love that. Mozart started composing when he was five, as well, so he was right around your age. So you know you're in good company. I think That's you could be. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so Luna, you know, it sounds like you know how to have fun, and you're very creative, and you're very smart. But when challenges come up, what is it that keeps you going? What what helps you like? get through the hard times and just thrive Hmm. like do you talk to yourself do you tell yourself how strong you are I tell myself how strong I am do you want to know how strong I am I do want to know how strong you are
6: she's showing you her muscles right now
1: okay (laughs) awesome (laughs) (sighs) so Luna you know the ride for kids event is coming up what do you think about that with all the motorcycles and everything that sounds cool Are you going to ride a motorcycle? When? For the ride for kids. Maybe.
6: (laughs) We
5: also have slingshots if mom doesn't want her on two wheels. We have three wheels.
6: Okay. (laughs) Sounds good.
5: That's cool. What did I do while I'm doing it? So, oh, we're going to go through Red Rock. Have you been up to Red Rock? Yeah, they have like a bowling thing. Oh not the casino, mm-hmm. the nature. And we're gonna have like in the morning we'll have a light breakfast and I don't know if you like donuts, but we usually have donuts and chocolate I do milk. Like
4: donuts.
5: <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh I usually I usually make my kids eat a banana with their donuts. I don't know. What? Uh yeah, we'll have bananas there. And uh and then after you pick because uh, you're one of our stars, once you pick your special escort, if, you, if your mom lets you, uh, we have these cool slingshots that are like decorated, some are decorated like Batman, and some are decorated like Spider-Man, mm-hmm. and uh, we have Captain America, and just some really cool, some that Isn't look like, um, yeah. I've heard like a Spider-Man like theme song. I bet we can even have him play that for you if that's the the motors the-, the Spider-Man theme
1: song. <laughs> yeah. You can have- "Hey, is there a new one? A new Spider-Man theme song?" Yeah, there's like a kind of music where they have like a theme album. Oh, that's cool. You can yeah. try. To look-
5: You'll try to look it up. I will Luna- try to look that up and have it special for you.
1: Oh. Luna, who is who's your favorite superhero? Who, who kind of superheroes are there? Well, there's Spider-Man, there's Captain America, there's Wonder Woman, there's Superman, there's Iron Man, there's Phoenix. There's all kinds.
4: Spider-Man.
1: You like Spider-Man? Yeah, he's pretty cool. You know what? What?
4: I have a silly cousin who likes to be like Spider-Man. He likes to climb the walls. I was just going to say, <laughs> what, he climbs the walls? <laughs> That's awesome.
1: <laughs> What's your favorite superhero? Mine is Captain Marvel.
4: That one?
1: Yeah. Yeah, She's a. she was one of the first Avengers. That's cool. Look her up. She's pretty awesome. <laughs> okay, we'll try. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, Brittany, why is it motorcycles for the Ride for Kids event?
5: You know, because honestly, bikers are some of the most caring and giving people in the world. They, they they're the most generous. And like I said, since the eighties ride for kids has been going strong. And since pediatric brain tumor foundation kind of absorbed the, their mission into their foundation, it's just a really cool event and it just, it works. Sounds like fun. It is. And and then with the slingshots, I don't know if you know much. I didn't know much about motorcycles until getting really involved with this ride. But there's like, you know, har everyone knows Harleys and uh-huh. Indians and yeah. like the crotch rockets, Suzuki's, and you know, the go fast ones. But then there's these uh and then like sidecars, but then there's uh these slingshots. And we have this really great team of slingshots, and they escort our children with brain tumors. Um, Now, of course, if if, uh, our stars want to ride on the back of a bike, we, in some event years, we've had up to 400 motorcycle riders gather at Town Square and go on this ride. So it is a a big event. But we have this group of slingshots and they, it sits two people. So it's it's technically a motorcycle, but it rides kind of like a car. It has a seatbelt. And so, you know, mom, Luna would be safe and have a seatbelt and kind of cruise like a car, but like with no, no top, if you will. Oh, I know those things. Okay. Yeah. You sit in them. And so they're really cool. And uh, so we have a whole team of them um, and
1: it's just, it's so much fun. Okay. So you mentioned Red Rock Canyon, but then you said Town Square. So what is the route that they take? Yeah, so uh,
5: so we gather at Town Square. We love it if you register online before the event, but if you don't register online, that's okay. We have day of registration starting at 8 a.m. So from 8 to 9.30, we have registration where we'll be offering a breakfast, uh, which usually is uh, a light breakfast, like donuts and muffins, bananas, coffee, tea, things like that. And then kickstands up or the riders take off at 10 a.m. And they start off at Town Square. Oh, and the best part about this ride, we do have highway patrol escort. So we get on the 215 and they shut down each ramp exits. So nobody can get on or off during our ride. And there's no traffic interference. So we have our motorcycle ride And it's just us so no cars. And it is so cool when you're running through red lights legally. (laughs) (laughs) That's like my favorite part. And so then we exit off of Charleston from the 215 and we go up Charleston through the Red Rock Loop. And then uh, we're going to turn left onto Blue Diamond. And then we're going to end at Silverton Casino, which is at 3333 Blue Diamond Road this year. And then we'll have lunch and kind of a wrap up ceremony where we'll go over like the club, the bike clubs and individual people that donated kind of like the uh, top donate, top team donators, individual family teams. And then of course we talk about our star families and it is just really cool event to see.
1: Yeah, that sounds amazing.
5: We have a live band, too, at the end. So there's live entertainment, lunch, all the real fun stuff. Like, obviously, the ride is a lot of fun. Yeah. if If you're not a motorcycle rider, the end point, we have live music and lunch. So even that part is a lot
6: of fun
1: as well. That's cool. Sarah, have you driven a motorcycle before?
6: I've ridden on one with someone, but I've never driven one myself.
1: That sounds so much fun. That (laughs) does. Yeah. Yeah. Luna, you are going to have so much fun on that day. I will. What are you going to do? Your mom is going to drive and you're going to ride right beside her on the highway with no cars. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. I know, right? (laughs) Yeah. Will you be there? I should come there. Yeah. This sounds like so much fun. I think I have to be there.
5: Yeah, what do you're gonna say?
0: Wee,
1: wee! (laughs) So, speaking of that, Brittany, how can people take part in the ride? Yeah, absolutely. So,
5: like I mentioned, we do have a link through CureTheKids.org, and I can provide you the direct Las Vegas ride for kids link. I have RideForKids.org slash Las Vegas. Yes. And so you can register ahead of time. And it is $40. With that $40, like I said, it gets you breakfast, it gets you a t-shirt, lunch, and then the the police escorted ride and all the fun swag stuff. We're going to have some vendors out, live music. It feels so 2019. I'm so excited because (laughs) the, (laughs) the, the last two years, you know, we had to do virtual and Uh, But yeah, so it's going to be a great time. So you can register ahead of time or the day of just make sure you come at 8 o'clock at Town Square, which is at 6605 South Las Vegas Boulevard. And it's called The Greens. And that's where we set up. It's kind of located by the AMC Movie Theater, but it's called The Greens at Town Square is okay. where you can find registration if you if you want to do it in person.
1: But online's easiest. Nice. Okay. And then if people are interested in helping out the Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation in other ways besides the Ride for Kids, are there opportunities to volunteer or to donate or get involved in other ways?
5: Yeah, so if you if you're just looking to make a donation, absolutely there's a donate button. Here locally, we have a task force where we, we do things all year round for our local families. We try to put together goodie bags. We try to we have a new partnership with Raider Dad, where we're sending our kids to football games. During COVID, we were sending meals when we found out our you know our families got COVID. My favorite holiday is Halloween. So I I try to do Halloween goodie bags where we just dropped them off, just special little things. So if they want to get involved and actually like volunteer and and help us like on the ground, they can send us an email. It's
1: lvrideforkids at gmail.com. Nice. Okay. So once again, the Ride for Kids Supporting the Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation is happening on Sunday, October 9th registration and breakfast start at 8 a.m. the ride starts at 10 a.m. it starts at Town Square Las Vegas the greens at Town Square Las Vegas it's going to go on the 215 through Red Rock Canyon down to Blue Diamond and end up at Silverton Casino so it's an amazing ride and there's gonna be no cars because the police are going to have it all shut down so just the motorcycles and the slingshots are gonna have the freeway all to themselves. So it sounds like an amazing time. You can find out more, you can register or get more information at rideforkids.org dot slash Las Vegas. That's rideforkids.org dot slash Las Vegas. There's a $40 registration per person that includes all of that that we talked about. And the email if you want more information is LV ride for kids at gmail.com LV ride for kids at gmail.com and Brittany, Sarah, and especially Luna, I want to thank you all for being here today and talking with us about this amazing event coming up and this amazing foundation. And Luna, it was such a pleasure to meet you. You're, you're such a brave and strong and talented person. And I wish you the best, you know, first grade right now, have an amazing first grade year. This is like one of the best years of your life. So thank you all for being here so much. I appreciate your time. Thank
6: Thank you you so much.
3: Thank you so much. At the V Foundation, V is for victory over cancer. V is for victory over giving up. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Join our team in the fight against
0: cancer at V.org.
1: This is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm Heather Vail, and joining me today is Dr. Neil Shore, Medical Director for the Carolina Urologic Research Center. September is National Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, and prostate cancer is the second most common cancer in men worldwide. Dr. Shore graduated from Duke University Medical School and practices with Atlantic Urology Clinics in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. He's conducted more than 400 clinical trials and has more than 250 peer-reviewed publications and numerous book chapters. He's a fellow of the American College of Surgeons and is on the editorial boards of Reviews in Urology, Urology Times, Chemotherapy Advisor, OncLive, Urology Practice, World Journal of Urology, and Everyday Urology Oncology. Neil, thank you so much for being here today.
3: Great pleasure. Thank you very much, Heather.
1: So this being National Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, I do want to bring awareness to the severity of the issue. As I mentioned, it's the second most common cancer in men worldwide, but how prevalent is it here in the U.S.?
3: Uh, Yes, it's extremely prevalent. In fact, it's the most commonly diagnosed cancer in men in the U.S. on an annual basis, and it's the second leading cause of cancer-related death for men in the United States on an annual basis, lung cancer being number one, prostate cancer number two.
1: Okay, and what is metastatic hormone sensitive prostate cancer specifically?
3: Yeah, it's a mouthful. Um, uh, Essentially this this concept is, we we use an acronym, MHSPC for metastatic hormone sensitive prostate cancer. Uh, I think for, for patients and for family members listening, It's the disease that's spread outside the prostate. It's spread outside the prostate. It could be in um, bones most commonly. It could also be in uh, the lung or the liver. It can be in soft tissue um, areas called lymph nodes. And when we say uh, hormone sensitive, it means that when we lower the male hormone, the primary male hormone, testosterone, prostate cancer is uniquely sensitive to that manipulation, meaning that the cancer cells go into remission.
1: How often does prostate cancer spread outside of the prostate like that?
3: It's been a change and some of it has to do with the uh, other rigor in which we screen our patients. But depending upon where you are in the country, certain metropolitan urban areas, uh, certain areas where there is not active screening, some of our patient populations, we see higher incidence of mhspc it could be upwards of 15 to 20 percent of the newly diagnosed but i would say nationally in the u.s it's probably some around or around 10 to 12 percent of the nude cases are mhspc in other parts of the world it could be upwards of 50 percent
1: wow okay so what treatment options are currently available whether for prostate cancer or mhspc
3: yeah it, it's it's a, it's a very important question and there's no simple answer so much of it depends upon the accuracy of staging someone with MHSPC um, the volume of their their cancer burden whether they're symptomatic or not what are some of their other health related uh, issues you know common things such as cardiovascular disease diabetes neurological issues um, and and it's important to individualize the treatment generally speaking when someone presents with mhspc we have to think about using therapies that will treat the entire body Mm -hmm. so in the arisense trial that was presented this year in asco gu 2022 and published in the new england journal of medicine we have a triplet combination of lowering the male hormone testosterone which has been traditional for 70 years. But we looked at adding a chemotherapy to that, as well as an oral medication called an androgen receptor inhibitor blocker. And in this particular trial, uh, darolutamide now uh, commercially called Nubeca versus patients just getting hormone-lowering medication and the chemotherapy. And the triplet surpassed the doublet in terms of survival And that was a really tremendous advancement that many of us were very happy to see.
1: How much did the trio of treatments improve outlook over just lowering the testosterone and the chemo?
3: What was really enjoyable to see as a trialist, and I was proud to be part of this trial and for all the amazing hero patients and their families who were involved, is we saw an improvement of 32% Patients living longer in the triplet versus the the doublet arm. So this is, we continue to make great advancements such as this. You know, our goals are always as researchers and uh, clinicians to have patients not only live longer, but to live well. And all treatments have a, a risk of side effects to them. And that has to be carefully discussed with the individual healthcare provider, whether it's your urologist or your medical oncologist.
1: Okay. So when you talk about it being a trial, does that mean that this medication is not FDA approved?
3: Uh, very important question. The answer is yes. This, this medicine has just been this combination of the three therapies is now FDA approved, which is fantastic because invariably over time when the FDA makes an approval, then the reimbursement pathways are usually soon to follow
1: okay so what advice do you have for people when they're speaking with their doctors about prostate cancer
3: well that that again is a very important question we we've changed i've been fortunate enough to be practicing to recognize that the burden is on the physician to make sure that patients can understand all of their options And it's important that a a learned physician is comfortable answering all questions from the patient and his or her family. So for a patient to come in with their questions written down, bring a, a, a partner, bring a caregiver, someone to help further explore and listen to all the different treatment options
1: okay so how can people find out more about prostate cancer as well as its treatment and prevention
3: well there's so many uh, great sites to go to um I'll just give you one uh, apropos of the advancement from that has come from the Arisons trial and that would be uh, a new n-u-b-e-q-a.com pretty simple uh, and you can learn a lot more about the, the new advancements in, in prostate cancer treatment for MHSPC patients.
1: Okay. So again, that's nubeca.com, nubeqa.com, N-U-B-E-Q-A.com, nubeqa.com. And Dr. Neil Shore, I want to thank you so much for being here today, talking to us about the advancements and the trials that you were involved in and letting people know more about prostate cancer in general. So I appreciate your time. Thank you.